Hey guys, thank you so much for joining. Today I am doing a solo episode. I am Ashley Liss again. Ashley was here this morning and she says like, I'm so tired. I'm not going to give the energy to the podcast. So she isn't doing it. She's doing a lot of shows in a row. Hopefully she's going to get some sleep. She said she'd do it tomorrow, the podcast. I told her, you know what, get the sleep. It's more important. Um, she's got a, a three shows in three weekends. So we're letting her get her rest and relaxation. She needs it. She just flew in and is uh, hasn't been sleeping so much too. So Hopefully, um, hopefully she's, she'll be back here next week. We'll see how she's feeling. Should be fine because we're not changing too many time zones, but we are flying out to Denver tomorrow, actually. Flying out to Denver. We'll be there this weekend. If you guys are in Denver, we have some posing classes going on on Thursday at 7. You can meet Ashley. She's doing the mile high, obviously, and you can see her there, too. Hope to see a lot of you guys there. So anyway, today is about set point theory, but one more thing before we go into it. Ashley actually won the Toronto Pro. So everyone say congrats to Ashley on her uh, on her Instagram, on her page. Um, she won the Toronto Pro, which is awesome. Um, you know, it's her 34th win. It is in, absolutely insane that it's actually happening. We're watching, every time she wins, you're watching history because she's making it that much harder for someone to ever beat that record. She already has the record of the most winning pro ever in the sport, not just bikini, but the in, in all divisions. So every time we're watching it, you know, I always like to take a step back and realize, hey, I'm watching history here, and that record may never be broken. I don't, I don't know if that record is ever going to be broken, but um, it's pretty cool. It's also cool to see that what we're doing is working, and it's working at a high level, and I think that at this point we're, you know, starting to convince people, yeah, you can compete all the time. You can, um, you can live lean, and you don't need to be going through these crazy, crazy preps where you're doing two hours of cardio and eating 900 calories. And that's kind of what brings us to today's episode, which is set point theory. Um, it's pretty cool. Set, so set point theory is this. Uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to simplify this because it is, it's easily, unfortunately, it's easily debunked. But set point theory is essentially, if you were staying at, let's say, as a, as a female, and you are staying at 12 to 14% body fat for bikini. So a good example would be Ashley. She's staying probably in the off, well, I mean, she doesn't really have a, a serious off season, but the highest she gets is probably 15% body fat. Um, on stage, she's somewhere in the 12 percentages of body fat, and, and that's a real body fat. So if you girls are thinking that you're 7% body fat, 6% body fat, I see these girls and I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm seven, oh, 7% body fat. And they barely have any abs on stage. I'm like, no, you were never 7% body fat. It is highly unlikely that a, that a female is getting to 7% body fat. The best women's physique competitors and bodybuilders, female bodybuilders in the world barely get to single digit body fats. Nine, nine percentages is like insane if a female looks like that so just just throwing that out there now um so the, the theory is okay ashley's been maintaining this body fat for three years right 12 to 15 percent somewhere around that range maybe slightly under that at 11 high 11s at some point um after she does it for a long period of time it is going to be harder for the body to store fat past a certain point so for guys let's say so i average around like 185 pounds or so so basically the theory is, okay, I've maintained 185 pounds for a long period of time. Um, even in weight loss, people talk about this. And so now it's going to be hard for me to get up to 195. So I can kind of eat what I want. I don't need to pay attention anymore. I'm just going to kind of stay at 185 because I've done it for so long. That's my set point. That's, so that's what set point theory is. Basically staying at a weight, 
staying at a body fat percentage, whatever, for X for a long enough time where it'll impact your future ability to gain weight past that. It'll make it hard for you to do that. Almost, and some people are like, if you just keep it for long enough, it's almost impossible, right? And this is what's used in marketing, I think, more than anything, especially when your people are selling like diet programs and whatnot. And I'm not going to say that I'm above selling diet programs. That's how I make my living is selling nutrition programs and whatnot too. But I would never say, hey, I'm never, I'm going to create a program for you where you'll never gain body fat again. That's not, that's not the truth. So um, set point theory. All right. So what, what is the reason that people came up with this concept and this theory, right? Well, one, it's really good marketing, right? If I could say, hey, I'm going to give you one diet and you're going to do it forever and or you're gonna, I'm gonna do one diet, you're gonna do it for whatever, six months, and then you're gonna stay lean for two years, and after that, you're never gonna have to worry about gaining body fat again. That's a really good concept. <laughs> That's a great way to sell a product. Can you imagine a product that has like two years investment and lifelong returns like that? That'd be that'd be sick. I'd make that investment for two years, no problem. I would invest, I would have, I would go on the hardest diet possible, known to man, if I could do it for two year period and then just maintain those results for the rest of my life? Totally, 100%. I wouldn't even question it, right? If it was proven by science, who wouldn't do that, right? Just kill yourself for two years and then just stay looking like that? Yeah, absolutely. Seven days a week, two-a-day workouts, eat nothing but fish, no problem. <laughs> and then you just like, and then eat whatever you want. And then you look, you look fine. You just look just like that forever, right? So like, even if you just think about it like that, right? That sounds ridiculous. So where did this theory even come from? It came from really good marketing, right? It came from people selling products, trying to get you to believe something. Um, you know, the, the diet industry is a multi-billion dollar diet industry, and that is a, a great marketing ploy. So now, how are they coming up with even the theory of it, right? That's, what's, uh, that's what the crazy thing is. It's like, where did that concept even come from, right? How do people justify even saying that? Well, Okay, so there, that's, the, that's the lie about set point theory, right? That, it, that it, you just will stay there for, a, for no matter what you do, you'll just stay there, you know, within reason, right? So that's the lie about it, but what's the truth about it, right? Well, the truth about it, and I think where some confusion happens, and this is usually what happens. Usually what happens is there's a little bit of truth to something, and then someone runs with that little bit of detail that was in whatever research or study and makes a big deal about it, and then... Someone in the mainstream picks it up, they start marketing it, they don't know they're fully lying, but they kind of might think that they're, they don't know the full truth to it, and then they just run with it, and then it becomes like a thing, right? So where's the, where's the truth behind it? The truth behind it is if you're sticking, let's say, so for example, um, you know, we'll use Ashley again, right? Everyone knows Ashley in here, so why not? Um, Ashley's been doing this diet for, you know, 12 uh, 12 to 15% maintaining her body fat. She's been doing it now with me for three years, right? Um, Ashley has developed really good habits now, right? So if you've done a diet for, you know, a long period of time and you've maintained a low body fat, so if I've maintained, let's say, 180 pounds for a long period of time, well, I've developed good habits, you know? I've, it's become normal to me. It's become regular to me to eat like this. It's not, now it's not as much effort as it was before, and so now because it's easier for me to do that because I'm already doing it for extended periods of time, well, then, yeah, I'm not gaining any body fat back. I'm not gaining any weight back because I'm able to adhere to the diet for extended period of time. So it looks like I reached a set point where I can't get past that. 
But in reality, I'm just taking the same actions that were hard for me originally, and I'm doing them on the daily now because it's a normal habit and routine, right? So that's where the truth of set point is. I don't, there, well, I know there's not a set point where you can just eat whatever you want and just change your eating habits completely and just maintain that. But I do think that there's a set point in your mind where you just kind of get used to eating that way where everything doesn't feel like it's so much sacrifice anymore. And I think that that's something that it leads us to another area of um, competition prep. And I think it's an area where I will say on our podcast that we can get, we can get better at and, um, and maybe we fail a little bit at it because it's, we are, you know, to the regular person, Ashley and myself, you know, especially myself being like a regular, like, you know, I'm just like a, at this point, I'm just like a regular fitness enthusiast. I'm not a competitor anymore. I, I do take it seriously. Um, but I just do it for me just to look good and, uh, and you know, just to maintain, maintain an athletic look, you know. Um, for Ashley, obviously, she's a competitor, and she's doing it at the highest level, and she's very extreme. She doesn't go past that, right? She doesn't go past that 15%. She doesn't go past six pounds stage weight. That's where we keep her at, six pounds above stage weight. But remember, she's competing all year, so six pounds is, is uh, you know, that's, that's not unrealistic if you're competing, like, once a month type of thing. So, um you know, and I'm the same way. So I try to keep it really close. I'm really clean on my diet. But where we fail at is we, you know, we, we say that that's like, a, it's like a normal thing. Um, you know, I've learned over the years and when I get responses back from on the podcast that it's not normal. You know, I think that a lot of people struggle with adhering to a diet long term and adhering to any concept of, of that. So they, they will fall into the trap of, oh, I'll do this set point theory thing, right? And we don't think about it as, set point theory being a mindset, we think about it as being physiological, right? Not psychological. And so uh, the set point theory is, is I think it is there and I think it's more so cycle in the psychological way it is. I don't think there's any physiological part of it, but the psychological part, right? So how do we get there is the question, right? How do I get to that set point in my mind where I won't gain any body fat back because this has just become normal to me now. And so that's, I think, where where me and Ashley as doing these podcasts for, you know, a couple of years now need to start going a little bit more into that. Actually, we're like three years now on <laughs> this podcast. We're at, what episode are we? A hundred and like 30 or something. Yeah. So it's one a week. So yeah, it's getting up there. Um, so I think that's another area we can dive into a little bit more when we hear back from people and, um, and, and go into it. But I do like debunking this set point thing because it's just, you know, it's not realistic for people to people need to know the truth of that. And it's not realistic to people to hold on to that hope, you know, hold on to it. Oh, if I just maintain this, it's going to be hard for me to ever gain body fat back again. And that's simply not the truth. If you ever want to gain body fat back, just eat more and you will gain body fat. <laughs> there's, there's never going to be anything, at least that I've seen that will, that will stop that from happening. So, um, so set point theory, unfortunately, not in, it's mostly false, if not entirely false, in terms of you being able to gain body fat back. That's never going to be a problem. You'll always be able to gain body fat back. So, but mentally, how do we get there, right? How do we get to that stage where I don't want to eat these other things, where I don't want to go past this certain point? And I think that that's something that we really got to dive into. Um, I've been getting it a lot lately, I would say, uh, you know, a lot of people are going to their, it's weird that people are going to their off season now. Like I'm getting some pros that are going to their off season, not necessarily my pros, but other pros. And I'm getting some that want to start competing. I'm getting some that are in their off season. 
I, and I'm getting a lot of messages. You know, I, get, I, I talk to a lot of pros. It's really nice to be able to talk to a lot of pros. I can't take on a lot of pros. So a lot of pros do reach out to me just to talk. Um, they're other people's athletes and stuff. They just, they just know I just don't have that ability to take on so many. Um, and I get, I get messages and we talk and it's like, uh, I, I met one the other day and she's overseas and she put on so much weight. It was shocking how much weight she put on. And I'm like, what happened? You know, was it medical or what was it? And she was, uh, I mean, she was up almost 50% of her body weight. So it was like high 40 percentages of body, body weight. And I was like, man, and she was talking about competing again and all this. And I was like, you're not really, um, you know, in a position to even talk about competing. You're like in the very early stages of like a trans regular transformation client. I don't even know what that end result will be if you compete again. Um, now that you need to lose, you know, close to 50% of your body weight. Right. So how do we, how did we get there? Right. And I think that's the important topic is how do we get there? How can I maintain this? And I think that where it comes down to is we're still thinking about things the wrong way, especially those people in the off season. So people see Ashley and they see her compete and they see her compete all the time. And like, so for example, she jumped into the Toronto pro, um, as just an idea, right? She was like, I think I want to do a Toronto pro. And I was like, as she checked in, uh, she did a, a posing, a posing with me. And I was like, yeah, honestly, I don't see any reason why not. You look great. You know, let's just do it. So she jumped in like six days before the show, right? That's crazy. Six days before, and she won, she won the show. Now she was prepping for another show, but she was already in shape. She didn't go back. So how did, and she's done it. You know, at that point she was eating like 1,460 calories. She's doing cardio. She's doing orange theory cardio three times a week. Um, how do we get there, right? How do we get to that point? Is Ashley just a genetic freak? And I was on a podcast the other day and they asked me this question. They're like, you know, um, it was kind of cool. It was very, it was actually for me, it was like an eye-opening thing. And they said to me um, on the podcast, they said, you know, do you think that's realistic for everyone to maintain that weight? Or is it just because Ashley is a genetic freak that she can like maintain that close to stage weight and all this stuff? And I said, you know, I had to think about it. And I said, well, is Ashley really a genetic freak? Right? Or is that just all we know of her is just her being in shape? And so I had to like think back, you know, almost four years ago. I mean, I don't might have even been five, it was 2017, like late 2017, we started working together. And um I was thinking to myself and I was like, man, it was really hard to get Ashley in shape. Like it was really, really hard. Um, and she'll tell you that she has a video out on her YouTube, it's like her transformation. And it was a period of about six months to get her to lose like 20 something pounds. I think it was like 27 to get her stage weight. And she was probably a little too lean that first show. So it should have been like 24 or something. If that was, if the numbers are right, I might be a few pounds off. It's been a few years. But um, I was thinking, I was like, really, she's not a genetic freak because it, if she was a genetic freak, she wouldn't have first gained that much weight by, you know, being regular and then also she would, it would have come off a lot faster if she was a genetic freak. So is she really a genetic freak? Cause it took me longer to get her in shape than almost everyone. So is she really a genetic freak or is she just really a freak at adhering to her diet now because she doesn't want to gain any weight back. And she learned how hard it was to get it off in the first place. Right. And then one time she did gain weight back. She gained like, she was on vacation in Hawaii. She gained back, I think like 10 or 11 pounds. And she's talked about that too. And then, um, you know, it was like earlier on when we were training together and, it was really hard to get that out. I, I don't know if we had to not do a, sing, a show because the timeline didn't make sense. I don't remember that part of it, but it was hard to get her back in shape. And I was like, you know what? She really isn't the genetic freak that everyone thinks she is in terms of body fat. She's not the girl that won't gain body fat back, but she just adheres to her diet. 
And I think people need to hear that out there because they're like, they see her and they're like, oh, she can do it all the time because she's always in shape. I'm like, well, she's not always in shape because she just is that way. Like she can gain body fat back. It is hard for her to lose body fat. Yeah, her shape, genetic structure, how she has her crazy glutes and, and legs. Genetically, yeah, it's pretty good there. Um, but if you look at her upper body, she's been trying to build her upper body shoulders for a long time. I mean, we're talking years now. We, we still have to fill up up top. So it's not the genetic freak that people think she is, right? But the freak of adherence, absolutely. But and you can confuse those two, right? So how did we get there, right? How did, we, how did she get there besides, you know, obviously sheer will and, and determination and, and constantly doing it? It creates these good habits. And I think if you were to look at someone like Ashley and you were to say, hey, that's set point theory working in action because now that she's done it so long, she can't gain back that much body fat. Um, I would tell you that's a lie. She definitely can, right? So that's set point. If it were a real thing, it definitely hasn't happened yet because she can gain back body fat pretty quickly if she doesn't stick to her diet. She doesn't ever not stick to her diet. So, you know, but that would be someone that they would use as an example. They'd be like, well, look at her. She can compete whenever she wants. She can compete at three weeks out. She competed and won the Toronto at six days out, right? Just jumped in. And so that's, so how do we get there? And I think that the answer is a long time ago, you know, and it's been, it's cool because it's actually coming true now. All the theories that, you know, that I had a long time ago are coming true. And, um, you know, I've talked about it in the podcast before and I was like, okay, what are we really trying to do here when we're getting ready for a show? It's just losing body fat. You know, obviously you're trying to get leaner to the point that you haven't been, before, you know, to, to something that's unrealistic, you know, long-term to maintain. But what are we trying to do to get there? We really are just trying to maintain body fat or trying to lose body fat. And um, why are we taking such extremes if someone is already in shape? So if you're getting ready for a show, you should already be in shape. Why are we now going so extreme just to get you in better shape? Why is it if you need to lose 10 pounds of body fat, you need to do an hour and a half of cardio and eat nothing but tilapia and asparagus for 16 weeks to get you to lose 10 pounds. In any other scenario, losing body fat would just take you losing, you know, being in a 500 calorie deficit, doing a little bit more cardio, not going through this crazy struggle to lose that body fat and get in show shape. There's no difference of competition losing body fat and regular losing body fat. It's still just fat. But our mindset is like, no, it's competition body fat. It's so lean that it's going to be harder. So it has to be tilapia. It has to be two hours of cardio. It has to be fasted cardio. You got to take all these supplements, all these different things. No, it's just body fat. It's the same thing, whether you need to lose 100 pounds or you need to lose the last five for a show. You know, it might be harder because the last five, you're a little bit more adapted than, than when you first started the diet, yes. But it's still just body fat, right? And I think that that's the disconnect for people. And that's why I'm getting these emails from pros who are blowing up in the off season because they're not doing a sustainable approach in the in season that they can maintain and therefore hit that hit that set point in their mind, right? And I think that the set point we talked about, you know, it's, it's all psychological. It's not physiological. So what's that set point for you? What's that set point of balance where you can maintain a, a, a low level of body fat with a realistic, acceptable workload of cardio and workouts and acceptable sacrifice in your diet? Where's that set point for you? Where's that balancing line for you of maintaining. And I think we need to talk more about, more about that. That's where the set point is. Okay. I can eat once a week, a cheat meal and eat clean the rest of the time, do 20 minutes of cardio four days a week. And if I can maintain my weight like that, that's my set point, psychological set point, right? So that's, I think what we need to be talking about because 
I have, I'm having too many pros reach out to me who are just going, going like crazy in the off season. And, and actually it was funny as, um, I listened to this, I listened, uh, it was actually, I listened to this sermon. I get a lot of like actually interesting stuff from like sermons and stuff. And, um, the, the, uh, pastor, he said, um, what did he say? I got to have it in my notes on my phone. My phone's recording me. But it said, he said, if there was uh if, if all of a sudden becoming Christian, if, be, if being Christian all of a sudden became illegal, would be there, would there be any evidence to convict you? Right. And I thought about that in terms of like my world, right. Which is contest prep. And I thought about, you know what, if, if all of a sudden competing became illegal, would there be any evidence to convict you in the off season? Right. And it was like, it kind of, it was, uh, it hit me because for a lot of people, there wouldn't be, you know, you would be, <laughs> you would not be doing anything illegal in the off season, right? You, if, if all of a sudden prep became illegal. So it's kind of a cool thing to think about, right? And if you like sit back and ask yourself, okay, if all of a sudden contest prep became illegal, would there any be any evidence of me to be convicted in the off season, right? And most people's answers, at least the, some of the pros that I'm talking to that are like blowing up in the off season, the answer to them would be no, there'd be no signs of them being, uh, you know, of, of being a competitor at all in the offseason. The only thing that they're doing is working out and then eating whatever they want, right? And then blowing up and then trying to fix it through an aggressive prep. So it becomes a cyclical thing. So they blow up in the offseason. They take these absolute extremes to get in shape, which are unsustainable. And then guess what happens when they get those results? They don't sustain them. And it happens time and time and time again. And I'm like beating it with a dead horse at this point. And I'm like, just take a different approach for, for God's sake at this point. Have you not realized this? If you do two hours of cardio and you eat 900 calories to get ready for a show, you cannot sustain those results, okay? Because you cannot sustain doing that. But if you're doing what Ashley's doing and you're eating 14, 1600 calories going into a show and then at the very last two weeks, maybe eating 1200 and bumping your cardio up to five days at 45 minutes or five orange theory sessions, right? Like that's very realistic to maintain that in the off season, right? So yeah, she's not going to blow up. So because she's found that prepping point, which is a realistic approach for her to maintain in the off season, she's able to maintain the results in the off season. These other pros that I'm running into that are blowing up, you know, I have a girl that reached out to me. She's over 40 pounds above stage weights. Like I think she's five one or something almost, almost 50% weight gain, right? After a couple years. And I'm like, what, well, how did that happen? Well, there was such a disconnect of her living this as a lifestyle and her doing it in a prep way where she just didn't like have anything to adhere to because it was so extreme. So she just ate, like she had no concept of maintaining this results. Right. And I have these time and time again, it's not just one girl. It's, it's multiple. I gained 30 pounds post-show. Okay. Why did you gain 30 pounds post-show? I don't know. I started eating like crazy and it was my fault, right? And I'm like, okay, well, why did you, why did you do that, right? And then she was like, I don't know. I just, I just had no, I had no control. I'm like, well, what, what caused those urges? Like, why? She's like, well, I was, you know, I went from doing two hours of cardio to doing, I didn't even want to be in the gym anymore after I competed. And because I didn't want to be in the gym anymore after I competed, I just started gaining weight. And then I was just so sick of eating, of eating tilapia that I just started eating regular. Then it just caused me to want to eat more. I'm like, well, what if you would have just done 30 minutes, 40 minutes, five minutes of cardio to get in shape? Maybe it takes you a little longer. And then you ate, you know, 1400 calories to get in shape. And it took you a little longer. 
you think you'd have been able to maintain that a little better, you know, why don't you try that? So that's where I think that the set point thing needs to go to that conversation needs to go to, okay, how can I, how can I prep in a way where I can sustain the results and I can actually start being concerned with the off season because I need to have, I need to, if you're doing this sport seriously, your off seasons are super, super important. But it's still something that people don't think about as much because like, oh, I'll just work harder during the end season. I've had pros tell me that. I'd rather just eat like whatever I want in the off season and just crush it for 16 weeks. I'm like, that's cool. But then eventually your body stops responding to that and then you stop competing. And these are the girls that are like, oh, prep ruined my life on Instagram. They're like, prep ruined it. It ruined my hormones. It ruined this. And everyone's talking about that. Right? I was like, I'm like, no, prep didn't ruin your metabolism and ruin your hormones and ruin this. You did because you went in the off season and you ate terribly, you gained back, you know, 25, 30% of your body weight. And, you know, and then you used an, uh, a crazy prep method to get you in shape because you're in this mad panic to get in shape within 16 weeks of a show that you chose. And then that was an unsustainable approach. And then you get, did it again and it was cyclical for you and you did it repeating and repeating. And then one day your body said, enough is enough. I'm not going to respond to that. And then you're like, prep ruined me. Because now it takes so much effort past what the already the extreme effort you were putting in to get in shape that it's not even realistic for you to get in shape like that anymore because your body's just so adapted to these extreme preps over and over and over again because you're not maintaining in the off season, right? So that's where the set point theory needs to go is it needs to go, okay, what's the set point for my mind? What can I realistically maintain um, in, in the off season? What's my acceptable discomfort level to maintain these results? And I think we all need to ask ourselves that and, um, and have that real conversation with yourself. You know, are you being a good student in the off season? Is there evidence of you being a competitor in the off season? Or are you just using excuses saying that you're bulking or just not even thinking about the end result in the off season? What is it for you? You know, what, what makes that work for you? And I think that everyone's going to have their own thing. And some people, you know, I, I call them like, competition tourists <laughs> and a competition tourist is someone who's just vacationing in contest prep they have no intentions of doing this for life um, they're going to crush themselves one time they're going to get in great shape and then they're never going to do it again because they're not going to put that effort out they're just visiting you know visiting this life visiting this world but we have people that are going to live in this world too you know people who are residents and um and those people are the ones that have figured out, those are people the ones that sustain those results. Those are the people that are, that are eating good in the off-season and care about it 24-7. And when you see these preps that I post all the time, and I, w- I, will, say, I will say at least, I would say 90% of my athletes do 45 minutes or less cardio for a prep for a show. I would say at least 90%, honestly. And it's very, very few that have to go farther than that. And so why is it? Did I figure out this magic formula where I'm able to do this? And I'm like, no, I just keep them accountable in the off season and they don't blow up. So they don't need that much to get in shape, right? The first prep we say, we always say here, first prep, worst prep, right? That's the one, do whatever you got to do to get in shape that first time. And then after that, maintain it, You maintain that one. It's not going to be hard after that. And I think that's where you reach that set point theory, at least a psychological set point theory. What is it from, uh, what is it going to take for you to maintain the results? What's a good exchange between me and the athlete, which is going to be acceptable for you to have some balance, but also maintain the results so you can have some accountability, right? And so a couple of things that I've come up with that have been helpful is, is the post-workout. That's something that's been really good for me for keeping people to adhere to a diet is 
post-workout in the off-season and sometimes in the in-season too. Um, I'll give them any carb they want to eat in that post-workout. So if they have, let's say, I, did, I have this whole workout formula of um, nutrition that I'll put some athletes in, probably like half my athletes. I'll put in this whole thing where it's like pre-workout, intra-workout, post-workout, um, and it's different nutrition. Well, that, and it's different for different people too. If some people want, um, are having a hard time adhering to the diet, I might just do the post-workout and then give them like some sugar carbs in that post-workout, some cereal in that post-workout, something high glycemic that feels like they're cheating on their diet, but it's actually the perfect time to have that cheat on the diet where we can spike insulin and get some leucine in the, and get some amino acids in the system and, and, and use that for, to help with recovery, right? It's a good time for that. And then they look forward to it and they don't feel like they need to have these cravings outside of that because they have their sugar in their post-workout, right? They can look forward to it. They can plan it. They can do gummy bears. They can do cereal. They can do whatever fruit, sugar-based things, right? Things that aren't, they won't normally do on their diet. And we have that freedom on that at, after that workout, especially after a hard workout, to do that post-workout. And that does help people. So if that's something you need, you know, talk to your coach about it. If you work with us, talk to your, one of our coaches about it. But we could put that on your diet to make it a little simpler, right? Make it a little bit less restrictive feeling. I've talked about macro dieting before. We can go into that in another episode because it's a long one. But I don't think macro dieting is a successful way to prep people that want to do this like at a high level. I think um, in the off season or for someone who's just doing a transformation, I think it's great. But it doesn't give the coach the data that they need, the accurate data that they need because it doesn't take into account full – So. The, the full effect of the different types of um, micronutrients, macronutrients, right, are, are there, but then not the net calories that are, that are um, being used in the body. So, for example, the reason I don't like it is because I'm, I'm extreme about the data. I want the data to be as precise as possible. I just want it to be a, a formula. So it's calories plus cardio plus supplements plus workouts equal X result every week, right? That's the formula. And, you know, with the proper data, we can really get that down to a precise tool and manipulate those those four tools to create whatever result we want. But with the macro dieting, the problem you run into is the data is all over the place because one, our nutrition labels lie to us all the time to sell more product. I did it the other day with like a Thomas English muffin. It said 100 calories on it. It was like the the difference of carbs from one to the other was one gram of carbs. The other one's 140 um, calories. You can go into the go into your grocery store and look at Thomas English muffin. One's 140 calories. One's 100 calories supposedly. Um, and there's only one carb difference. Well, one carb is only four, four calories, right? So, and then the argument's like, oh, well, there's fibers. So you just take those out. And that's why it's 100 calories. Well, some fibers still has, uh, you know, net calories of two calories per gram, sometimes three. It depends, right? So, like, it's not a, a simple, it's not as simple as that, right? And so you, like, look at the label and you're like, okay, that's only 100 calories. I'll have four of those for my carbs today. Well, each one was off by 40%, right? How is a coach going to make good data calculation with you being off by... 40% on one thing, right? And then you're going to have your carbs, let's say it's 50 carbs from orange juice, right? And then 50 carbs from broccoli. Well, the 50 carbs from broccoli is really hard to digest. So you're going to have less net calories. So after it's called thermic effect of food, the calories it takes your body to digest food subtracted from the total consumption of the calories, right? So if you take in, let's say orange juice, you know, 50 carbs from orange juice, your body's going to pretty much digest all of those calories. So that's 200 calories and 50 grams of uh, orange juice, 50 carbs of orange juice. So your body's going to use all 200 of those calories, right? And then the other person is doing 50 carbs from broccoli. Well, you're probably going to get like 100 of those calories from broccoli because it takes so many calories to digest those foods. Actually, it's probably less. Uh, so with how, how am I going to get that data from someone macro dieting, right? And, and, on a, and they want to do 
shows and have precise data. It's just not the best tool. You know, it's great for lifestyle. So, but anyway, that being said, um, because that's a whole other podcast on its own. That's why I don't do macro dieting. It's not because I don't believe that it works great for some people. I think it does work great for some people, especially transformation people who are just trying to um, get a little better at eating. But people don't come to me for those types of results. People come to me for extreme results. So, you know, I have to use extreme methods, you know, to, to get them there. I want adherence. I want accountability. I want to know the diet. I want to know the data. That's the, that's what they pay me for. So, um, now that being said, the best diet is someone that someone can stick to, right? So maybe that is the best thing for someone, right? Um, I don't think, I don't think that you're going to get someone who's macro dieting and, and just throwing options in there, competing against someone like Ashley and have a positive result. I don't think that's going to work out that well at all. Um, not at that level. Right. So, um, but if you're just a regular person and you're just trying to get in shape and whatnot and you're just getting started, I think that's a great way. But let's say you're that person in the off season now, right? You're a pro in the off season and you've historically gained back, you know, 20, 30 pounds, whatever. And you need a, um, and you're having a hard time adhering to the diet. Like one macro meal a day doesn't throw off the data too much. You know, if it's a, let's say it's one fifth of your calories that day and that data might be off by 20% every day. Well, a bikini, a bikini pro eating let's say 1600 calories in the off season, that meal might be 300 calories. So if it's off by, you know, let's say 20%, you know, it's not a huge amount of calories to throw off the data that much. So I think the discomfort, the comfort level for her and the data for me is a good compromise. So that person might have a macro meal. So one macro meal per day and the post-workout sugars, I think that's a pretty good amount of flexibility in the diet to, to, you know, adhere to it long-term. And maybe that's that person's psychological set point of what they can accept and maintain the results, right? So um, just a just a couple things from my experience that I've, that I've gone into and I think that the best way to attack it. But unfortunately, the set point theory of your body won't gain body fat back is just a marketing tool for people to sell you programs. I'll never lie to you. I'll always tell you my mistakes and things that I've believed in the past as well. Um, and I've, I've made mistakes for many, many I mean, I, if I look back at my workout programs that I did 10 years ago and I look back at them now, uh, my nutrition plans, and I would look at those and be like, those are terrible. What, are I, what was I thinking, you know? So I'm constantly going to be learning, and, and as we always should be, and getting new stuff. Um, but that's something that, that I was thinking that might have even been true a long time ago too. Um, but, you know, these things, they grab you, and they, they, they're good theories that you want them to be true. But the reality is, is it, it always comes back to the same thing, adherence to the diet in the off-season, you know? suffering a little bit in prep and, um, and, and putting out a good amount of effort and focusing on a goal every single day and, and, and attacking that goal and capturing that day every single day without having those bad days that set you back too far, you know? So, um, anyway, that being said, what I'm going to do is I want to answer any of these questions now on Instagram that you guys have. Um, if there is any questions here at all, you guys shoot them to me now and I'll jump into them. I'm not sure if it's going to be on the actual podcast. I'm scrolling back through. So sorry for this little break. Usually I can do these while Ashley's talking. <laughs> um, so, okay, here's a question from Amy. What was Ashley's set point before competing? I, um, if I remember uh, having her in 2017, uh, I think she was, she was close to 30 pounds above where she is now. So, uh, and I, I don't think that was a set point, of course. I think that's just where she was. It was like, I think it was 27 pounds. Um, let me see any questions coming in. I don't think we got any questions. All right. Okay. Here's a question from you. Um, this is not really about set point, but I'll jump into it. 
Oh, actually, you know what? I'm going to go into this one. This one's more about set point. Okay, loving, loving, losing. That's a cool name. <laughs> the question is, do you find that the more an athlete competes, the better they get at reversing? Um, it depends on how that athlete's competing. So I will say, I will say if the athlete is competing and they're doing it my way, right? They're doing it the way that Ashley's bought into. And now that's the, you know, that's why she's able to do what she does now is she buys into it. You know, she buys into the no bulk. She buys into the higher calories, lower cardio. She doesn't go into these crazy, she doesn't eat any fish, you know? Um, she's bought into it, right? And it's, it's proven that it's worked. It's proven over a long period of time that it's worked. And I don't think anyone's proving it better than, than her, that it, hey, you can do this like that. So someone like her, who's really done great at it, yeah, absolutely. It's easy for her to reverse because her mindset is like, it's just, it's there now, right? Because she hasn't had these extremes. What I will say is the more extreme someone has to be, it appears to me the harder it is for them to adhere to their diet on the, on, in the post-show. I don't know what happens. It's like a leptin-girlin thing uh, where your hunger hormones and your satiety hormones are just all over the place. I don't know what it is. Um, I don't know if it just feels like a get-out-of-jail-free card and people are just, when they get done with their show, they just lose it and they just can't control what they put in their mouth, you know? But I find it to be the harder the diet the worse that someone can adhere to the post-show diet. And the more those girls blow up, and then they, what happens is a lot of times, and unfortunately, they'll work with this coach for a year or two years, and then they contact me. I want to do this in another way where I can sustain it, right, type of thing. And then at that point, it's, you know, it's a little harder. We usually got to go a little bit harder and press with those people because they're so adapted from those previous preps. So it's, it's, it unfortunately has its, like, timeline where everything just seems to just get hard for a while. Um, if you do it too many times, it seems like you're just kind of setting yourself for harder preps and unfortunately, harder preps are usually going to lead to more rebounds and more um, less adherence to the post-show diet. You know, it's uh, it's unfortunate, but that's the truth. You know. Um, okay, here's another one from Allison Fitness. What would you say? Or what would you say you? So sometime, sorry, I'm reading. Someone to read them, and there's like typos. Uh, uh, what would you say to someone? I I think she's what she meant who says clean eating is disordered and restrictive. Um, what I would say to them is I would say, I would look, here's a, here's a funny, I, I love this, this, this actual question because it doesn't, one, it's, a, it's, a, it's honestly kind of a dumb question because people don't think about it, right? So I'll go into it. Um, when people say, you eating clean is disordered. I would ask them, what is your baseline for regular? If this is disordered is regular to you eating foods that weren't even available 200 years ago and eating foods that you know are unhealthy for you is regular to you. Obesity as an epidemic in the United States is regular to you kids having diabetes at rates they never have in their entire life is regular to you. Cardiorespiratory disease in the United States being the number one killer of adults dying, dying early. Is that what's regular to you? Cause to me, that seems like a big fucking problem, right? So I would say to you, you need to redefine your definition of what regular is regular 
is what cavemen used to eat, what was available when provided by nature. That was what's regular. Fruits and healthy foods and, and you know, meats that are, you know, things like that. That is what regular is, what was regularly available and provided, right, for us. The foods that we're creating with preservatives and all this junk in it and fast foods and that high in cholesterol and causing people problems and causing people addiction to food, that doesn't seem like the route of regular to me. That seems like the uh, like a problem of a of addiction of taste, right? Uh, food companies have gotten the things that we're addicted to, uh, you know, sugars and high salts and high fats, and put them in this perfect concoction that we call food, and said this is now regular. And if you eat healthy, oh my gosh, you're you're you got a problem. You got a real problem. You watching your weight and staying healthy, like you better watch that because. That's a real issue. That's a real concern. You have an eating disorder, right? Bullshit, man. Like, don't put, don't try to shove that in my throat that me eating healthy and trying to live healthy and trying to eat clean is the wrong way of doing things, right? Don't tell me that you, in your gluttonous ways of of eating pizza, you know, three days a week and feeling good about it and telling me that these, you know, obese models now on Sports Illustrated is what is attractive, right? I'll tell you this. Okay, natural attraction isn't someone who's 200 pounds overweight on a cover of Sports Illustrated magazine. My natural attraction to a fit to a fitness magazine is going to be a fitness model, right? That's what's the problem with our society now is we like shame people who are taking care of their health. We say this is beautiful. Like Victoria's Secret models aren't beautiful the way they were. Like bullshit. <laughs> they were gorgeous before, right? So don't tell me what regular is and what my natural instinct is of attraction. Don't tell me what what you know, sacrificing me to be a little bit healthy and, and live longer and live a good healthy life is wrong and eat disordered eating. You know, you eating, knowing you're going to shorten years off your lifespan because of taste, that's disordered eating, right? So that's my take on that. And I will always stand by that. And I don't care if you guys try to cancel me for that. I'm a, you know, my, when I, I want to see greatness, you know, I want to see greatness in this world. I want to see the cover of Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition be unrealistic women. I want it to be unrealistic fitness levels where people are like, man, I wish I looked like that. I don't want it to be like, hey, I should just, it's good for everyone, right? I want to see the Elon Musks in the world, the Michael Jordans, the greatness in this world where it makes me try to be better. I want to see fitness model magazines and bodybuilders on magazines that I could aspire to be that, that, are, that are not even obtainable for me to achieve. Not, and people are like, oh, I want you to feel good about yourself right? So you should put a regular dad bod up there on the thing. No, I want to see a guy up there who's hot and ripped. And he's like, I better keep this guy away from my girlfriend because he's so damn hot, right? Like still your girlfriend hot is what I want to see on, on the cover of fitness magazines, not regular dad bods. I want to see what I could achieve if I was great, if it pushed me to another level. And that's going to require some discomfort. I'm sorry, guys, if it is. So people telling you you have disordered eating because you're doing something to improve your life and live longer and live healthier. That's what we need to be doing. And that's what we need to be fighting against too. We're in this fight, this culture war for eating, eating good is like, is, is now we're in this culture war that that's shameful, right? That you're shaming me for eating healthy, which, which is what the only option was 200 years ago. You know, now all of a sudden there's like these concoctions that are like, we call food that are coming bags of chips that last on shelves for four years. And we're like, and, and I'm disordered for not eating that. So anyway, that's my rant on that. As you can tell. <laughs> you know, I, I want, I want everyone to reach their potential. I want everyone to be great. And I want everyone to find what's within them. You know, 
Um, Custom Auto, who's one of my favorite, like I look up to, people look up to athletes, I look up to coaches. You know, Mr. Miyagi, who isn't a real coach, he's like a fictional character, he's like my favorite, he's like my, he's like my idol, right? And um, I, I always want to be like more like Mr. Miyagi, and I'm, uh, that's something that I need to get better at one day, and I'm still trying to be better, like more like Mr. Miyagi, because of how he taught lessons and how, how he remained calm and unemotional, and uh, you would never hear him going on a rant like this, but he'd still get deliver the same message in a different way, right? And um, th- there's another guy named Customato who was pretty close to that. Uh, he was probably the closest, and he was Mike Tyson's trainer, and I, I researched and studied him a lot. Some of these great coaches, I study them. And um, there's, there's a, there's a, it's a cool thing if you guys want to, like, really find, like, some real motivation guys. Like, these guys are, like, they find things from within people, and that's what I need to get better at myself is pulling things out of people that he sees. So Customato, he used to say, he said, I'm not, he's like, I don't, I don't create this from people. He's like, what I see is I see a spark and I grab a log and I turn that, I throw that log on that spark. And then one day I turn into a raging inferno. He's like, my job is not the spark. My job is the log to turn that into the raging inferno. I need to find that from people. Right. But if we don't ever see the inferno, like where's the desire going to be at? Right. And all these things that are telling you that like you're extreme is people not trying to give you that log. They're just not trying to show you that inferno, that it's possible and pulling greatness out of someone requires them seeing greatness. It requires them looking up to someone. It requires them seeing the, the absolute extreme of, of human capabilities, right? Like when I see Joe Rogan and I'm like, I'm, he's doing two podcasts a day for three hours a day. And I'm like, how the hell does he do that? Like, how is he so much better at me than this, right? I see Elon Musk, like, billions of dollars. Like, no, like everyone gets mad at him. He's got billions of dollars. He doesn't care about the money. He's way past that point. So he, he just wants to be great, right? And he sets a standard for everyone where it's like, this is human achievement at the highest level, right? I want to see that with Ashley Cotwell, sir. I want to see that with her. I want to see that it's possible for someone to compete 15 times a year, win, you know, seven of those times, prep within six days and, and win the Toronto Pro, right? Like, I want to see that it's possible. I don't want to see mediocrity. I don't want to be told, you know, you have a disordered eating because I'm eating healthy, right? I don't want, don't hold me back from that. Don't tell me that the norm is obesity and anything less than that is abnormal and you're extreme and you have an eating problem because of it, right? That's people holding you back because honestly, I honestly, I think a lot of it is because people who are overweight, people who aren't looking to achieve more in their life, like are threatened by you achieving greatness. And all of you listening to this podcast, all of you like doing this contest prep stuff, whether you think it's a big deal or not, you just think you're like getting on stage and wearing a bikini or whatever, right? Like you, you think it's not a big deal, like it's not impactful, but you're, you're learning lessons that you're going to apply to yourselves for the rest of your life. You're learning like what it takes to achieve greatness. And, you know, in my world now, you know, I've achieved, I feel like I've achieved greatness. I think we're close to taking contest prep to places where it's never been. We've never, I don't think there's really ever been anything like what we have contest prep center we have 15 coaches we have tons of athletes everyone's killing it the level of, of is super super high like no one's really done that you know and in the entire world right but like i got that not because of any chase of anything you know i haven't needed money for years i don't care about that for me it's been about achieving greatness and and seeing how far we could push it right but if someone were to tell me which i've had people in my life tell me about previous girlfriends and whatnot tell me you know you don't need any more adam like the house is paid off, that this is done, like you don't need anymore. And I'm like, it's never, is that what you think this is about? 
You think this is about the money? I can, I'll do this for free, but it's about being the best. Right. And like all these people that do this stuff and say like food, like is it's an eating disorder because you're doing good or it's, you know, this is, this is, this, you know, fat model on sports illustrated is, is beautiful. You're the one that's wrong. Right. Like they're holding you back from greatness, you know? And that's the problem with the culture is like everyone, everyone gets at it. Everyone gets an award everyone's great, everyone, and that attitude doesn't work in the real world. As soon as you get in the real world, that shit doesn't work. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's a tough, it, the world's tough, you know, you got to be tough to succeed out here. So, um, anyway, so I, I just hate that stuff so much. It, it's, it's just so, it's, it just keeps people down from being their best, and it really bothers me. So, anyway, um, I want to see all of you guys, like, I want to see that spark, and I want to throw a log on it, and, and I hope, I hope you guys do too and, and try to get that, that, that fire as big as you can. So are we done? <laughs> I said, how many hours are we at? We had an hour yet? We're almost at an hour. All right. I, I don't know. I feel like that was pretty good. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'll probably re-listen to this and cringe myself, but um, let's see what we got. You know, I'm going to see if there's any more in here yet. Um, actually, you know what? What I'm going to do is I'm going to take these questions, guys. I'm going to screenshot them. And then I'll go into them again. Um, and then we'll go over them another day. But I, I feel like I want to leave off on that note because that was like something that I think everyone needs to hear. And I'm not afraid of saying it, you know. Um, it's, uh, it's important in our culture, especially with you guys, you, you competitors out there, to fight back against that stuff. Like if someone tells you that, like if you have an eating disorder, that's one thing, right? It's different. You know, if you're, if you're you know, binging and purging, like you talk to someone, you know, get that straightened out. You know, uh, we have people that have problems. We send them to Celeste. Celeste is awesome for people who have, you know, with, with issues with that stuff. Um, you know, get it sorted and come back, you know, come back to your coach when you got it figured out. But if you're just eating healthy and someone are sh is shaming you for it, you, you need to stand your ground with that, you know, because it's, if, if you're, if you're eating a healthy amount of calories, you're working out five days a week, six days a week, and you're maintaining your health. That's not a problem. That's not a problem at all. Okay. I've done it since I was 12 years old. And maybe when I was younger, I might've had a disorder to eating. This all started because I broke my arm. I was 12 years old. I broke my arm. My sister called me fat, right? I didn't know what to do. I ate salad and Diet Coke because Diet Coke said diet. I, I came from, you know, like a, my, my, my mom was like first generation Mexican, right? And uh, it, we just didn't, like, we just didn't have any dieting, anything. Like, it was like, you know, lard and tacos and shit, you know? It was like, it was terrible. Like, we just didn't know, you know? So I was like, all right, I'll eat, I'll eat salad because that's healthy and diet coke right and that was disorder eating i wasn't eating any protein anything for like a year until i lost that weight and then it just kept going from there i just started sticking to it but you know now i eat healthy and people might some people might say it's disorder because i don't eat bad but once in a while i'll eat something fries or something once in a while but it's nothing wrong with that is you know you're i'm eating healthy amount of calories i'm eating clean foods hopefully it, it makes my life longer um you know but the reality is you got to stand your ground with that stuff if you're doing it if you're eating healthy you're eating a good amount of calories. You're working out five, six days a week. Like, you keep doing it. Don't let anyone shame you and tell them that they're the ones that are wrong. They're absolutely the ones that are wrong for giving in to this narrative that, that you're doing bad because you're not eating shit, you know? No, you're eating shit. Let's leave that on the table. That's what's bad. <laughs> I'm eating healthy, and that's nothing wrong with me doing that, you know? If, if, if anything, there would be something wrong with you doing, with you doing that. But... Um, you know, if they're not getting away, I don't see anything real problems with it. But that's just that's just so weird how we've gotten this far, 
because that wouldn't have been the case. And that all comes from, you know, from money from food companies, you know, shoving it down our throat for years. And now it's gotten here. So anyway, that's what I got. I hope you guys are doing great. Thank you so much. And I'll talk to you next time.